Thanks for joining us, and welcome back to the Watchman on the Wall podcast. Periodically, we'll bring you true stories of angelic encounters, heavenly visitations, near-death experiences, as well as modern-day prophecies that are relevant to us today. When we come back, we'll begin our next episode. Welcome back to the Watchman on the Wall podcast. Today's podcast is going to be a little bit different. My father wrote a book which was actually never published, so it's an unpublished manuscript. I am currently in the process of making it into an audiobook. Today I thought I might share a couple of chapters from that audiobook with you today. My father has gone to be with the Lord now, but his book is called Every Man's Miracle. My father was a devoted Catholic Christian who was very theological and a deep thinker about God and creation. In fact, chapter three of his book is called Creation, and that's the first chapter I'm going to share with you today. In it, he talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and what they might be saying to each other during and before creation. Also, he talks about the thoughts of the angels and what they might have said to each other during this process. Of course, even he says this is all hypothetical, but it does stimulate thought, and that's always good. So here now is chapter three of his book, Creation, from the book Every Man's Miracle by Lewis B. Polk, Jr. Chapter 3, Creation Let us imagine the three persons of the Blessed Trinity carrying on a conversation. The Father, let us create a great masterpiece for our own greater honor and glory. We will use ourselves as the model, making it in our own image and after our likeness. We will make it spiritual and material. I will create the spiritual and material substance. The Son, I will make spiritual persons of great power and beauty with the spiritual substance and infuse true knowledge into their intellects. I will make them in our own image and likeness and in nine ranks, seraphim, cherubim, thrones, dominations, virtues, powers, principalities, archangels, and angels. The Holy Spirit. I will give them life and a free will so that they will independently make decisions for themselves. The Father. I will send the Son into the material world to unite the material beings with the spiritual beings to make one kingdom. I will glorify the Son as King over the kingdom by reason of the victory He will win. I will make all things subject to Him and I will make His enemies the footstool under His feet. The Son. I will make a material world from the material substance and mankind in our image after our likeness. I will take on the nature of mankind and, to show my infinite love of the Father, 
will perform an infinite act of love by laying down my life. I will defeat the enemy, bring back captives, and draw all things to myself. The Holy Spirit. I will be the advocate to men, sent by the Father and the Son. It will be through me that the Son, truth, and sanctification, or eternal life, will be given to mankind. St. Thomas Aquinas wrote about the function and species of each of the nine ranks or choirs of angels. All of the nine choirs are mentioned in the Bible. All of the angels were not created equal in power, beauty, or knowledge. As to the total number of angels created, we might make a conservative guess of about a billion trillion. The thought here is that there are very many more angels than the average person may think. Angels exist in time, or perhaps a state somewhere between time as we know it and the ever-present eternity. The creation of the angels is seen by some theologians in Genesis 1-3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. It is also suggested that the entire physical universe was created at the same instant, perhaps in the form of a gigantic ball that was a fire or radiated light. The angels were all created at one moment, not in a batch now or another batch later, then more later. All the angels constitute a single generation. They are all related, as it were, by the same creative act. The angels were created in an environment which was very pleasant, but it wasn't heaven. Heaven of the blessed is only for those that win a victory. Heaven is a reward for those that win a victory in a test of loyalty to the Creator. We can imagine that because the angels are all pure spirits that their environment or world must have been strictly spiritual. Can there be a spiritual counterpart to our houses, land, trees, butterflies, birds, fish? Can it be that what we call the spiritual world of the angels is complete without anything whatsoever to do with the physical? I think that because it's impossible to imagine a strictly spiritual environment, that it must have been a partly physical environment. I shall speculate that part of the world of the untested angels was physical. Perhaps part of the world of the untested angels was the big ball, the unexpanded universe. Spirits do not occupy space, but they are able to manipulate the physical, as many Bible stories tell us. The unexpanded universe may very well have been a fun place for the angels to explore while growing in knowledge of themselves and God. Some theologians believe that the instant the angels were created, that they were immediately infused with all the knowledge they needed to take the loyalty test. This doesn't seem right. I believe that like humans, their knowledge of themselves and God had to start very small and grow to maturity. They themselves did not grow, but their knowledge and awareness of themselves had to start small and grow. Otherwise, the trauma of suddenly going from nothing to mature existence would have to be quickly soothed by God. I think God does things with more ease. God doesn't do things quickly. He revealed himself to the angels during their intellectual awakening, which may not have been what we would regard as a long time. One reason for believing the instant maturity theory 
is that the separation of light from the darkness follows the creation of light. Let there be light, and there was light. God saw how good the light was. God then separated the light from the darkness. Genesis 1, 3-4. The separation of the faithful angels, the light, from the unfaithful angels, the darkness, seems to follow immediately after the creation, as if they were created and then immediately tested and separated. However, the statement, God saw how good the light was, gives the idea that the light was allowed to spread and reach far distances, not hastily judged, judged good after an interval of observation. It is helpful to understand that the angels have a twofold nature. One is their own individual angelic nature, and the other is their collective nature. Their collective nature is their purpose, part, position, or relationship to all the other angels. All of the angels together make up the masterpiece of creation. They are individually created in the image and likeness of God, but there is a more perfect likeness to God in their overall structure together. I think the Big Bang theory of the universe is the most correct, so I will assume that is true. Scientists all seem to agree that the universe is expanding in all directions out from the central point, which is presumed to be the location of the initial explosion. I don't want to expand on the universe in my writings until after the test of the angels. It would have been more interesting to have the environment of the pretested angels in the expanding universe rather than the static big ball. But I prefer to use the expanding universe as part of the reward for the angels who pass the test and go to heaven. The let there be light could have been the creation of the angels and the explosion of the big ball. That would certainly account for the physical light. However, I prefer to delay it until after the test. It is true that many Bible verses can be taken in both a physical and spiritual way, or I could say an earthly and a heavenly way. In the Dewey version of the Bible, it says, in the beginning God created heaven and earth, Genesis 1.1. In a spiritual way, this might mean, in the beginning God created heaven and hell. In the physical way, this might mean that in the beginning God created a big ball containing potentially the universe, the physical heavens and earth. It seems certain that the heaven of the blessed was not created after the physical because Jesus said, Come, you have my Father's blessing. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Matthew 25, 34. If God created heaven and hell before it was needed, then it seems reasonable that he created the environment the protested angels were to dwell in before he created the angels. The let there be light could be the creation of the angels in the spiritual sense and the energizing of the big ball to a critical mass emitting physical light in the physical sense. Then comes the test. The angels that fail are violently wrenched from the fabric of the masterpiece, plunged into the interior of the ball, which immediately explodes. The faithful angels are transformed into a new existence in heaven, the physical, part of which is expanding and forming into galaxies and billions of other fascinating spectacles to entertain the angels. 
The unfaithful angels eventually find themselves in a small fragment of the explosion, later to become known as the Earth. All of this would constitute the separation of light from the darkness in both a spiritual and a physical way. Heaven and hell have been thought to be states of existence rather than locations. Countless passages of scripture say that heaven is up. A smaller number indicate that hell is inside the earth. Heaven must be the unlimited freedom of up, the universe. The universe is the only part of heaven that we can see. The galaxies are part of the courts of the Lord. God's throne is up there someplace. Words like ascended, descended, looking up are too numerous to be taken as not meaning what they really say. Some examples are Jesus looked up to heaven. John 17:1. Suddenly the sky opened up and he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove. Matthew 3:16. Jesus looked upward and said, John 11:41. Then a voice came from the sky. John 12:28. He left them and was taken up to heaven, Luke 24, 51. I solemnly assure you, you shall see the sky open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, John 1, 51. Hell is down inside the earth. The huge dragon, the ancient serpent known as the devil or Satan, the seducer of the whole world was driven out. He was hurled down to earth and his minions with him, Revelation 12, 9. But woe to you, earth and sea, for the devil has come down upon you, Revelation 12, 12. Hell is confinement and darkness. Inside the earth is as good a place as any to locate it. In the Apostles' Creed we say, he descended into hell. St. Paul says, he ascended. What does this mean but that he first descended into the lower regions of the earth, Ephesians 4.9. Jesus said, Just as Jonah spent three days and nights in the belly of a whale, so will the Son of Man spend three days and three nights in the bowels of the earth, Matthew 12.40. Hello again, this is The Watchman. Please join us each week for an exciting and inspirational podcast dealing with angel encounters, heavenly visitations, near-death experiences, as well as modern-day prophecies that are relevant to us today. So tune in each week and share it with your friends. After all, they could use a little inspiration in their life, too. That's The Watchman on the Wall podcast, and now you can find us on YouTube. next chapter from my father's book that I would like to share with you today is called The Test. Of course this is about the loyalty test that the angels had to take before God divided the good angels from the fallen angels. Of course we down here on earth are also going through our own loyalty test to God, but he also goes on to talk about free will. I find this very thought-provoking and I hope you do too. 
So here now is chapter four of Every Man's Miracle called The Test. Chapter four, The Test. The angels are all individual persons, each having an intellect and a free will. Many believe that a free will is the greatest gift God gave to his person, creatures. Actually, free will gives every person who has it an opportunity to go to hell. The one who has a free will will invariably want more and more freedom, even to the point of desiring a freedom outside his own nature. This is a folly, but it seems to go with a free will. I think of the story of the planet that grew tired of going around and around its star, finally driven by its uncontrolled desire to be liberated from the star, it broke orbit for ultimate freedom. It became lost in space, alone with nothing to grasp onto, hopelessly wandering in darkness. It perished in despair, longing for a return to the warmth, light, and security of its orbit. Freedom is good if it is the freedom that is compatible with one's nature. If it is not, it's a disaster. Real happiness is found in the obedience to God's laws and not in the folly of our imagination. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The decree of the Lord is trustworthy, giving wisdom to the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eye. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true, all of them just. They are more precious than gold, than a heap of purest gold. Sweeter also than syrup, or honey from the comb. Psalms 19, 8 to 11. The angels are to be subjected to a loyalty test. All of the angels were created good, so it seems ridiculous at first thought to think that any of the angels might fail such a test. However, the test given to them was not quite as easy as we might think. Why should there be a test at all? The mystery of free will allows for evil. Heaven is for winners, conquerors, for those that overcome a trial for those that obey God's commands. Basically, heaven is for those that obey God. To have a free will means to have the potential to turn oneself into a beast or to turn oneself into a perfect God-like being. God gave his person creatures free will so that they may make of themselves what they want to make. The test is to be a choice between self and God. The angels are magnificent beings, and they perceive their own beauty and power. God is hidden from them, but there can be little doubt about their belief in God. Angels don't generate a species. They must know that they were created directly by God. God manifested himself to the angels in the form far inferior to their own angelic grandeur. This was a manifestation of the Son the second person of the Blessed Trinity, because he made the angels. He may have appeared as Jesus or possibly something like the way we see him in the Eucharist, a small round white wafer. 
appearing as Jesus seems to be the best choice here. This manifestation probably lasted for a time and then was removed from the angels. At a certain time, the angels were to humble themselves and acknowledge their dependence on their maker and obey his command for them. They all had significant knowledge and grace to pass the test, but many of them refused to renounce themselves, even for a short time, in favor of the inferior appearing manifestation of God. Some may have had memory lapses, and some may have let themselves think too much about themselves and having fun rather than think about obeying God. Some of them may have blocked God out of their intellect altogether. The angels that, because of their pride and disobedience, refused to humble themselves were cast into hell. They lost all of their beauty and most of their power. They were confined into a small, loathsome, dark place. The place was loathsome because the spirit hates to be entrapped in matter. These unfaithful angels are now devils and demons. The big ball explodes and the universe is born. The angels that humbly acknowledged God were rewarded with the everlasting happiness of heaven, where they are constantly in the presence of God. They are now forever separated from the angels of darkness. Their beauty is increased and also their power. They can now follow the explosion to the end of time and see the unending wonders of God. Jesus gave us the lesson on this test. Those that exalt themselves shall be humbled, and those that humble themselves shall be exalted. Because all of the angels had a free will, we can think that it therefore was theoretically possible for all the angels to pass the test and go to heaven. And also, that it was theoretically possible for all of them to fail the test and to go to hell. Neither one of these possibilities existed. First, the possibility that all the angels could have passed the test didn't exist because of the great numbers of angels created. The greater number of participants, the less the possibility of them all going in the same direction. This would be something like flipping a coin weighted slightly in favor of heads or good and having it come up heads every time with a billion trillion tries. Along with this, there is the fact that the test was designed to prove the unfaithful angels as well as to prove the faithful ones. Somehow the very nature of free will has a downward tug which the grace of God overbalances to the good from the start. If the grace is neglected, the downward tug can be irresistible. It was mathematically and theoretically impossible for all the angels to pass the test. However, every angel that failed the test was 100% responsible for its own action. There is also the case of many smaller or minor follower angels that were influenced by higher angels. For instance, a seraphim or cherubim type angel may have intimidated some powers or domination types to be on their side during the test rather than the side of those silly, meek, humble, do-gooder type angels. Some angels must have felt pressure like the following. There were many, even among the Sanhedrin, who believed in him, but they refused to admit it because of the Pharisees, for fear they might be ejected from the synagogue. 
They preferred the praise of men to the glory of God. John 12:42-43. Then there's the case of the angel who, knowing that the end of the test will mean heaven or hell, decides not to participate. The angel does not want to go to hell and doesn't care about heaven because he's happy where he is. But God has a rule that says, he who is not with me is against me. Matthew 12, 30. There is no neutrality. Participation in the test is not optional. This is the idea mentioned in the parable of the silver pieces. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. The servant buried his master's money, or grace, instead of putting it to work to earn more because he was afraid of punishment or hell. He must have thought that if he did not play the game, then he could not lose. The master dealt with him like this. Throw this worthless servant into the darkness outside where he can wail and grind his teeth. The possibility of all the angels failing the test is much easier to argue against. If all the angels had passed the test and had gone to heaven, God would have been a winner even though it could have been thought that the test was not really much of a test. It was a good and just test, and the fact that many of the angels failed does not make God a loser at all. God allows evil to exist because He is so great and powerful that He is able to bring a greater good out of it. The good being the manifestation of His infinite mercy or the manifestation of His infinite justice. In the case of the angels that failed the test, God is glorified in the manifestation of His infinite justice in condemning them to hell forever. God gives gifts, and some angels receive more infused knowledge and grace than others. In giving more gifts to some angels, God is increasing the odds in His favor that all of them won't fail. This is done without interfering with their free will. God is not a loser. If all the angels failed the test, it could be said that God erred or lost in something he tried to do. I say again, God doesn't lose, and it is impossible that all the angels could fail the test. A fallen angel can complain about this, saying, the test was not fair. Some of those angels in heaven had a much better chance than I had. Some angels had 10 times more knowledge and grace than I had. It just wasn't fair then God could say, I have done you no injustice. My grace was sufficient for you. Have I not the right to do what I want with what is mine? Or are you envious because I am generous? Many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew 20, 13 to 16. It seems that all the angels were tested simultaneously. There is no thought of repentance. All decisions were final. It has been suggested that the pride of the angels in hell is so fixed that if offered a chance to do it all over again, they would refuse. They hate so much that there is no room for a repentant thought. The question has been asked by some, if God knows the future, then he knows who is going to heaven and who is going to hell. Why do we go through all this living? Why doesn't God just put the good guys in heaven and the bad guys in hell? This question goes along with the question, why doesn't God stop evil things from happening? Heaven, as we said, is a reward for winning a victory. Hell is for evildoers. Jesus could have told us that he would die for us, 
but not really go through with it. That is not proof. That is not perfection. The good deed must be done, and the evil deed must be done as proof against the evildoer. God said to Cain, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the soil. Proof. Jesus said, If any place will not receive you or hear you, shake its dust from your feet in testimony against them as you leave. Mark 6:11. The testimony to be used on Judgment Day as a proof against the evildoers. The fact that God knows who will be saved and who will not be saved does not influence our free will. We are perfectly free to decide which way we will go. The mystery of free will allows that we are 100% responsible for our evil acts. Our good acts we cannot take so much credit for. As St. Paul said, God works in us if we allow him to both will good and accomplish good. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. This may very well be the root evil in all evil acts, forcing, as it were, God to cooperate in an evil act by giving existence to it in accordance with the sinner's will. Well, there you have it. Two chapters from my father's book, Every Man's Miracle. I sure hope you enjoyed it today. I hope you found it thought-provoking. I'm in hopes to have this audiobook completed later this year. But if you're interested, I'm making these into videos on YouTube. You can either Google or look for Every Man's Miracle on YouTube, or you can go to my personal site, Brad Polk, under YouTube and find them that way under the folder Every Man's Miracle. Hello again, this is The Watchman. Please join us on our new video channel called Encounters from Beyond the Veil. It's the same exciting content as our audio podcast, but in a shorter but yet a video format. Also, please subscribe so you won't miss any of our episodes. That's Encounters from Beyond the Veil, exclusively found on YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. Any comments or suggestions you may have, you can send to the Watchman on the Wall 2020 at gmail.com. We encourage you to subscribe so you'll always be notified of our future episodes. Well, thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Watchman on the Wall podcast.